Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowaAwesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us today. We have got loads of content ahead for you with the transfer portal, men's and women's basketball headed to Ames tomorrow, or well, today and tomorrow for that matter. And then, of course, all the uh, offensive coordinator news that we don't have at this moment in time. Joined by Adam Jacoby, publisher of our site, Ross Binder, managing editor as well. If you are watching or listening to us on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button, drop a like, drop a comment, tell us all your thoughts on all the things we hit today. And of course, if you're listening anywhere else, hit that subscribe button, leave a rate and review. Now for the men taking on Iowa State as well, that's tomorrow night at 6.30, again in Ames. ISU coming in 6-2, and 4-0 and at home, Iowa. 5-3, and 0-2 oh away. Granted, two of the most raucous environments. One at Mackey, the other one against Creighton. Of course, Mackey being Purdue. And tonight, they're only given a 23.2% chance to win at Iowa State, according to ESPN. Iowa State, they are favored by 7.5. And, and I don't blame them. Um, this Iowa basketball team has come out flat on a regular basis in terms of energy. The defense is is lacking, which you would expect. Of course, they've got freshmen that continue continually play in the lineup that do play at a high level for freshmen, but they are indeed freshmen, and they're taking on two really talented other freshmen in Iowa State, Omaha, Baloo, and of course Milan Momchilovich there for the Cyclones. So with all of that said, it's going to be a tough one for, for Iowa uh, in Hilton Coliseum tonight as they are taking on a, a pretty solid Iowa State team. Ross, I know you handle our, our previews. Have you looked into it uh, super in-depth to this point? Uh, not a whole lot just yet. Um, obviously, the Cyclones are off to a really good start to the season. So, And Hilton's always a tough place to play. Uh, so I'm expecting... Very difficult game for uh, for Iowa. Do you know if uh, is Tony Perkins available for this game? And he was going to his grandmother's funeral, I believe. So, f- yes, Fran talked about that the other day. He said he's going to be traveling back from Indianapolis from his uh, grandmother's funeral, and he should be available. That, should, that is my understanding. Ooh, that is that's going to be a, a difficult thing for him to go through, I think. So, yeah, we talked about that after the game. Um just earlier this week, or excuse me, that was last week um, when when Iowa came out and they beat North Florida. Um, Lone, or Tony led team in scoring along with Ben Cricky. I believe he had 21 points. They had 21 points each. Kind of came out on fire, and you could tell he was emotional after the game. All the the, the teammates and and coaches there hugging him and and talking with him after after, and uh, you could tell that, and you could tell early that he was in his own. As well, he said that himself, but you could tell early. He said the memories of his grandmother were flashing through his head as as he was playing. So, um, uh, just I think an incredible testament into who Tony is and and playing at a high level despite the fact that he had a heavy heart. Of course, we wrote about that following the game, but um, yeah, uh, looking forward to seeing how he responds tonight as well. I mean, he he was so pivotal in the win last year at at Iowa's as a, at Iowa too. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Iowa State's obviously going to be a much different challenge for Iowa than Purdue was. For one thing, there's no Zach Eady, which is nice because he was a absolute monster in that game. Um, but Iowa State is a more guard-oriented lineup. Um, you know, Lipsy is currently leading them in like everything. He's he's leading them in scoring, rebounding, and assists. So he is and steals. Uh, Mr. Do It All for them. And steals. Yeah, he's Mr. Do It All for them. And, you know, I think just having Tony there from a defensive standpoint will be helpful to try and slow him down. Um, you know, offensively, like you said, Iowa's come out flat a lot. So I think they need to – and that can be really dangerous at Hilton if they come out flat and, you know, find themselves down 15 points inside, you know, eight or ten minutes. That's, uh, that's a real danger zone uh, for sure for this team. So they need to get off to a pretty good start and be hitting some shots – uh, early yeah this containing lipsy uh is is going to be really interesting to see because he seems like a guy that's really going to feed off that hilton crowd and and make the sorts of plays that they you know really really get ignited off of and just had a triple double against uh i believe it was against depaul uh and and sort of a rare occurrence in ISU history and in pretty much any men's college basketball history. And even in the game prior to that, which was a neutral court against AM, great team, by the way, like he had 14 rebounds uh, in that game. So including five on the offensive glass, and we're talking about a six, one guard getting five offensive rebounds. So if I was not prepared for that level of just pure energy and hustle and Again, if you're going to do that in any court in America, you're doing it at Hilton Coliseum, that crowd's going to go bananas for it, especially against the Hawkeyes. So these guys have to understand that Lipsy knows how to play to that crowd, how to get them riled up. The crowd knows you know, how to turn a game. And it's just going to be 40 minutes of effort, 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 effort. And you're going to have to navigate some runs, some loud, raucous environments, and probably, you know, knowing what we know about Hilton, probably some really rough calls too. There, There is probably going to be a little bit of Hilton magic going on there. But just like the women, this can be a weird rivalry at times. There can be upsets that just come straight out of nowhere that don't make any sense. Uh, and, I mean, gosh, what was it? Two years was it two years ago or four years ago that Iowa went up like 20 to two on on these guys? And you know, it can happen. It this is not a logical rivalry. So I'm curious to see how this shakes out, but it really, really does have to come down to Iowa has to come ready to play for 40 minutes, or else it becomes really predictable. And that prediction is about a 20 to 30 point ISU win. I mean, even look back to last year. What a weird game. Iowa State couldn't shoot to save their lives. Chris Murray didn't play. And then the Hawkeyes yeah, come out and a- win by 20 or however much it was. Like, and I, I remember watching that game and just be like, okay, when's Iowa State going to make their run? Okay, when's Iowa State going to make yeah. their run? And it just never happened. Um, and this is a very different team than it was last year in terms of, I mean, they had those uh, the the two transfers from St. Bonaventure, no longer with the roster. Of course, they've moved on. Um, Iowa, very reliant on freshmen this time. No Murray twin. It's going to be – what I want to see 
in this one is Peyton Sanford step up and yep. hit some big shots because we haven't seen him do that in these big games more or less. I, of course I didn't watch the Seton hall game because of craziness of travel and um, the Nebraska football game, Ross, I, I don't know. Did, did you see him do that in that game or I've only seen him do it once or twice against some of these mid to low major teams they've played so far this, this season. Um, yeah, let me just, uh, I did watch that game. What happened in that game? I think he got hot <laughs> in that game. Uh, he had, yeah, he was good in that game. He had 22 points, um, seven of 12, four for 10 from three. Yeah, I do remember that. Now he was, he got it going and Iowa kind of built a lead in that game. and just kind of kept Seton Hall at kind of arm's length. They never really, uh, they, I think they led the, most almost the entire game and the, the second half, it was never like a, Oh, Seton Hall could take the lead on this possession type game. It was always a, uh, at least five or six point lead for Iowa, as I recall. And yeah, he was a big part of that. You know, he, when his shot is falling, that offense just looks so much better and is so much more dangerous than when his shot is, is ice cold, which it's, it's been in those, you know, those big games you referred to. So I agree. He is, he's kind of the linchpin for this game. I would say. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. He's because if, if you if you're getting use your words, Adam, if you're getting twenty to twenty five points out of him in an environment like this, I mean, gosh, look at their trip to Rutgers last year. Uh, that was a game where writing that you know those clutch shots by Sanford that gets Iowa to that lead, helps them maintain that lead. And it's a lot easier, especially for a team's uh, structure like Iowa is and the way that they play. It's easier for them to play with the lead than to try to make up a lead, even though we've seen some, even though we've seen some pretty remarkable comebacks from them over the last few years. Ultimately, this is a team that plays a lot more comfortable with the lead already in hand. And so if Sanford, you know, if he really wants to show that he can perform in any environment, that there's not going to be anything, you know, the lights are never going to be too bright and that you want the ball going to him when everybody else in the building doesn't want it going to him. Here's where you do it. Here is where you prove that you are that ice cold, you know, cold blooded assassin that everybody should be afraid of you for being so it's an opportunity. It's absolutely an opportunity. And and he seems like the kind of guy that enjoys uh, challenges like that. And if it's also like the trip to Rutgers, we might also see him get his second technical. And, and again, like that's the funniest thing to see Peyton Sanford getting teed <laughs> up. It, it, it's like getting a, a, a technical foul call on Mr. Rogers. Like where did this come from? <laughs> Peyton is the second leading scorer on the team this year. The shooting percentages are actually better than I thought they'd be. He's shooting 34% from three, which, of course, you want that to be a little bit higher, but 42.9% from the field, um, 13.6 points per game, er, per game. He leads the team in rebounding at this point, which is probably not a great thing, but he is averaging 7.9 rebounds to Taman Lipsy 6.5, who also leads Iowa State. So, not exactly going to be the greatest of interior presences in this game uh, on the glass and on defense, which leads me to my next point. I think the fan base is clamoring. I don't know if clamoring is the right word. You could say that I'm clamoring and we'll hit this quick and move on to portal and, and more football stuff. But 
I think that Owen Freeman should start. Everything that I've seen lends oh, itself yeah. towards that. I mean, he's been the Big Ten freshman of the week three weeks of the how like three of the three weeks, right? At this point, and then pretty much where we're at, and that ties. Yeah, that ties Aaron White for the most in one season. We've got three, four months of the season left. Like, Owen Freeman is very clearly one of the top players on this team already as a freshman, leads the team in blocks. I would think he'd lead the team in in rebounding if he were starting and, you know, playing as many minutes as I think he probably should be. He's playing 15 minutes a game at this point, which I don't love. I think you want that around closer to 20. Um, just because of the sheer impact that he's made. And I mean, he, one, he's fun as hell. Two, he brings the energy. And three, again, he's one of the best players on this roster already. I'm a huge fan of Owen. I think he has just uh, a, a maturity beyond his years on the basketball court. Sure, he's going to make mistakes like any freshman would, but he is a player that, has those fun plays, the big dunks, the three blocks in about five seconds against North Florida. You got to insert him to the starting lineup at some point, in my opinion. I don't know who who goes to the bench, if, but I don't think Fran is exactly going to bench his son in order to to put Owen in the starting lineup. And, and any question that has been fielded from him about starting with Owen, he just kind of shirks it. He kind of dismisses it. But you can only do that for so long with the way this team has performed early on in the season, in my opinion. And it's not like it's been awful, but they haven't, they haven't beaten uh, beating Seton Hall. You should have beaten Seton Hall. Oklahoma's number 19 in the team, team in the country. Purdue's going to be a top team in the country. Creighton's going to be a top team in the country. You competed with Creighton. You did not compete with Purdue at all. Yeah. And they, I they think, more or less competed with Oklahoma. I mean, Right, Sooners that was were always going to win that game. Yeah, yeah, but you know, they at the very least they gave him forty minutes. The problem with Freeman, like I do think Freeman's one of the top five players on this team. The problem is, so is Ben Cricky, and you look at the way that Fran has been using those two guys, and it's pretty much a platoon system. There are sometimes Cricky will be on the floor as the four with Freeman as the five. It doesn't happen very often, but it like that is the way that they use the two. Been happening would, more. Yeah. And I, I would like to see it more and more. Uh, because I I again I think that he's one of the five best players on the team. Before I see him in the starting lineup, though, I want to see him in the finishing lineup. I want to see him, I want I want to see Fran's level of trust in him that he can have him in after the last media timeout of the game. Because once that happens, we're talking about that turnover rate, which is currently at about, uh, it's, I'm looking at it right now, like the um, 13.2 on Ken Palm, which is about where Crickies is, but it's it's higher than Tony Perkins. It's, um, you know, it's higher than pretty much any um, rotation guy except for Brock Harding, and you would expect more turnovers from Brock Harding for many reasons at this point in the season in, in his career. But, you know, it, it does mean that there are, you know, mistakes in Owen's game. And as long as you're trying to guide him and, and develop him and, and, you know, work those mistakes out, do you want them happening on the floor? Or do you want them happening in practice and, you know, a shorter leash for him on the floor? I would say if the goal is to, you know, win games, 
you sort of have to look at the rebounding that Freeman brings, the blocks that he brings, uh, you know, the offensive efficiency that he brings. You know, we're, we're talking about a 69% free throw shooter, scores pretty reliably from the field. You know, I think he's trustworthy enough that you can live with the mistakes. And I don't think that they're game-losing mistakes but you do really just want to make sure that he that the game is slow enough for him that he can play at the end and that you say, we need one play, Owen, go make one play, and they're going to try to stop you, go do it anyway, that he is going to have that level of um, polish, that level of you know trust from the coaches. That's where I want to see him get. I think he'll be there by next year at the latest. Uh, but I do think it is probably in Iowa's best interest, just with so much of the good that he brings to the table, to be playing more than, what do you say, 15, 16 minutes a 15. game. Yeah, yep. that is, it's just not enough. And and get Cricky to the four if you have to. But it's just, you look at the way that the team plays with Freeman on the floor versus off the floor, and Cricky on the floor and off the floor, it's it's pretty obvious that Freeman's one of the best five players on the team. It just is. Well, I you know I agree with what you're saying, Adam, but I, I also like Elliot's point about those flat starts, and I do wonder if you know if you start Freeman, um, can he help with that? Because they have had a lot of you know games this season where they just the energy is just not there, and it's just it's a struggle. And then sometimes yeah. the, those the second unit guys come in and they do provide that spark that kind of gets things going. But you know maybe he could that from the jump um i i think it would be worth trying but you know i will say having watched fran for over a decade now he does he is not a one to tinker with his starting lineups a lot unless he you know unless it's obvious that a change needs to happen or you know injuries or something force a change like he's not one of those coaches that's constantly tinkering with his starting lineup and you know trying different combinations he likes he really likes a set starting five so you know we'll see what uh what comes of that and with this amount of freshmen, I'm sure he likes to have the older guys start the game too. But when it continually gives you these slow starts, man, something's got to change. It's the same conversation we had the other day. Do you let, let it sit for three years or do you change it? Football and basketball are quite different in that respect because you play a lot more basketball games than you do football games. But that is a conversation that maybe you have sooner rather than later. And it doesn't have to be detrimental to any of the guys who are starting. Light a fire under their ass, man. Oh, a freshman starting over me? I've been here four years. Well, pick it up. Do do something about it. Yeah. 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 Additionally, exactly. I'll make a quick point. I love almost everything I've seen from DeSante Bowen this year. I think an aggressive DeSante Bowen adds a different dynamic to this team that we don't see otherwise. I think he's gotten much more confident in getting to the basket. He's a much more confident shooter. Um, I love his intensity in the full court defense. Like he's just been a different player this year in terms of confidence. And that's taken his game to another level. So I'm a big fan of, of him and what he's done so far this season. Yeah, I agree. And it is something that Fran sort of hinted at before the season that it was something that he had seen from DeSante in practice I think the, the term that he used was he really should have played him more last season. You know, sort of easy for you to say that after the season's over, uh, right? But 
Yeah, I absolutely agree that Bowen has taken that step up, the step that he needed to take. And walking into Hilton, you know, we, we talked about a great opportunity for Peyton Sanford. Here's one for DeSante, right? You play like that in this environment, it's a whole lot more difficult to do that than to do it at Carver Hawkeye or to do it against Florida AM or uh, Arkansas State. Play like that when all the lights are on you, when everybody else in the building is rooting against you. Play like that. Because if they can do that and they get something out of Sanford, you know, they get a good shooting day out of Sanford and they just they keep their wits about them, which is, again, easier said than done. Yeah, I do think they have a chance to make this competitive. Uh, but it, it really does start with guys taking advantage of the opportunities that are in front of them. All right. Now let's make a transition into football. We hit it briefly at the end of the podcast on Sunday, Monday, talking a little bit about the transfer portal. Now that it has opened up, we've seen a few guys enter a surprise in Ontario Thompson. Um, but other than that, Brand- Brendan Diaz-Fernandez, Deontay Vines, also a bit of a surprise, Jackson Filer, and of course, the not-so-surprise, Joe Labus, who decided to enter the portal yesterday. Um, like I said, Thompson and Deontay Vines, probably the biggest surprise. Thompson Way more of a surprise than Deontay Vines, but we talked about it on Sunday night in terms of what needs Iowa could go Iowa could go after in the portal. And I think it's just been exacerbated. We talked about wide receiver and defensive tackle, and it's just been exacerbated by what's happened in the last 24 to 48 hours. Thompson, the biggest surprise, because I think we all saw a path for him to see significantly more playing time next year. And it would have been fun as hell, like I said, to see him with Aaron Graves. But now he's entered the portal and he was receiving just group of five offers. Now it's up to Oregon State and Indiana in terms of power five offers. So the likelihood of him returning out of the portal with those power five offers now on his plate becomes less and less likely. Yeah, I was surprised to see Terrio's name the list for all the reasons that you mentioned and I understand where that interest is coming from from the other schools I was also a little bit surprised that as you mentioned the level of offer that he was getting straight out of the gate was in that FCS group of five sort you know the 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 mid-majors of college football instead and until you know now we're getting to that Oregon State Indiana etc that was where I expected him. And, you know, it still seems like the best place for him to end up in 2024 is Iowa. Uh, I think in terms of a an environment that is conducive for him to develop into a pro player based on the schools that we've seen are interested in him so far, I still think Iowa's his best bet. But of course, that's looking at it from a strictly football and NFL standpoint. And there's so many other factors that go into these decisions that these kids are making. And, you know, they're, they're half my age. I get to call them kids. So I am, I'm curious to see how that situation develops. I'm still not putting it at 0% that Ontario comes back because I know that the Iowa coaches had some plans for him too. And they like to keep bigger rotations, especially on the defensive line, than, you know, 
the, the D-line and the way that Phil Parker uses the D-line starter, and I'm, I'm doing air quotes for those not watching on YouTube, starter is, is sort of a loose definition. And it doesn't really always accurately reflect the amount of snaps that these guys get and how important they are. And, you know, when they're on the field, Ethan Herkett's a prime example. Ethan Herkett didn't, quote, start a game this year but he was always on the field and making plays in the fourth quarter. And he he's made comments to the effect of the coaches say, you know, I'm sort of like a starter. And you look at the snap counts, you look at, you know, when they're using him, when they're trusting him. And, you know, essentially it is true, but it's just that there's Joe Evans right there. <laughs> Come on, let him, let the, let, let your captain start. So that's a situation where it sort of seems like Terrio would probably not start if YA Black is back next year. And I bet he wants to, but he would get snaps on this line. I, I firmly believe that he would be in that rotation to a greater extent than he was this season. Now, also Pittman's in that mix. And, you know, is Pittman working his way up too? Because all of a sudden that's a little bit more crowded than it was before. And so a lot of different factors to, you know, worry about. But ultimately, you look at an eye test guy like Thompson which he very much is. And you just look at, you watch him play, you watch him make those plays on special teams and you think, oh, he'll be on the line. Like he he will work his way into this specific rotation and he'll be better off for it. So maybe, maybe transferring makes that process quicker for him. I'm not sure the process should be quicker, but that's, you know, me talking for my strictly football outside perspective so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out there are yeah i mean i think oh go, go ahead, ahead ross no nope, you uh, i was just gonna say you know if if he does end up leaving that is it's a blow to iowa's d tackle rotation it's also a blow to the special teams because i mean he was yeah. a definite weapon on special team he blocked two kicks and you know that is not an easy skill to replace and uh he certainly would have been a, a part of that rotation or that unit next year, I, I would anticipate. So yeah, that, that, that's yeah, a if, skill that's not going anywhere, right? He's not going to forget yeah. how to block kicks <laughs> or get worse. His arms at aren't going yeah. to get, get shorter. So <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if, if he ends up leaving, then I think D tackle becomes a definite area where they would need to, you know, target a re- replacement in the portal. Yeah. ASAP. There are a couple things that I, think of and that I think most people think of with Ontario entering the portal one is does he want more NIL money which that's got to be a factor when almost anybody enters the portal especially they're going to a different school if they feel like they're going to be more valued in terms of NIL money like that's that's just a factor of where things are currently do I know that for sure no I don't this is that's speculation secondarily I went back and watched, listened to Coach Kelvin Bell, media availability earlier this year, and he referenced players in the rotation that weren't starters. Of course, it was uh, Logan Lee and YA Black as starters on the defensive tackle positions this year at the one tech and the three tech. He referenced Aaron Graves, Luke Gaffney, and Jeremiah Pittman did not say Ontario Thompson's name. And then I look at something that Jay Neiman said, which uh, I'll read it directly from the article that we posted on uh, on iowa.rivals.com about Ontario Thompson's decision to, end up, and decision to enter the portal. This is Jay Neiman, quote, 
I don't want to put expectations on him to start next season. Obviously, that's our hope, but that'll come through hard work and just beginning to understand the intricacies of his position a bit more. He's an athletic and explosive guy for his size. Hopefully, all those physical qualities will translate over into playing the D-line. It, I, What is it? It just seems... Oh, yep. Yeah. Well, I need to go back and make an edit. It just seems like something that would be automatic, but it's not. You have to learn how to use your power, strength, and size through being fundamentally polished. Right now, like any other new player to our program, it takes time for guys to learn how to do that. So maybe Ontario sees an opportunity elsewhere where he can fit in a little bit better defensively, and he maybe he doesn't like the way they were using him on the defensive line. But again, something that he said earlier in the year after that block on the Western Mich- against Western Michigan was that he always wanted to come to Iowa, and he went to Iowa Western in order for him to end up at Iowa. And now here he is in the portal after just one year, a spring and a fall with Iowa. Yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to watch. I will keep my fingers crossed for his sake, because again, I, I think Iowa is ultimately his best destination for 2024. You know, if Alabama or Georgia or Ole Miss or, you know, if an SEC team comes calling, you know, best of luck. And and I and anyone would understand at that point, uh, especially if you're going to get on the field quicker than you would at Iowa. But, you, you know, sort of what I was alluding to earlier in terms of like the process should take longer is exactly what you said, that the coaches don't really trust him in terms of that, like, play to play, you know, keeping his technique solid, um, keeping the, um, you know, his assignments all straight. That part of the development doesn't usually get, you know, better, doesn't, doesn't become, it's not a, it's not a good thing to transfer away from a school like Iowa if what you really need to do is develop your skills as a defensive lineman, right? Even if you get on the field quicker, you're probably, you're, you're playing quicker as a less polished player, as a less well-coached player. I don't think that that is ultimately in Terrio's best interests, but I'm also not him. I don't know what his best interests that he's looking out for by transferring are. So it might be the case that this has nothing to do with football. It might be the case that it is only about 50% to do with football. And if that, you know, go, go find what you're looking for, obviously. But um, yeah, it's, it's a surprise to, to, for a player like him to transfer away from a developmental program. And he shouted out coach Kelvin Bell in his, statement too that he was leaving and coach Kelvin Bell is a guy that has repeatedly developed guys you think Lucas Van Ness ends up as a first round pick at every other power five program I do not no I do not now one other player that I mentioned that wasn't a surprise I we can hit Deontay Vines quick too because he was kind of a surprise but not necessarily really I don't have a whole lot to say on on Deontay entering the portal other than the fact that it's something you and I agreed on, Adam. He's a kid that's so difficult to not root for, right? He's great with the media. He's just a good guy. He's had a lot of, you know, his uncle passed away during the season. He got his first touchdown right after that. 
and he, it was a hard decision for him. He, he told me, um, we, we messaged a little bit after he made his choice. And, um, again, that quote is in the article that, that, well, I guess I take that back. That's on our premium boards. Um, so you can check that out. Iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe, but tough to see him go wishing the best of luck. He got a pit offer right away, which I was not exactly yeah. expecting. I know he's from out there but I was figuring it was going to be more G five kind of stuff. He did get an offer from UConn and UMass as well. Um, but the pit offer was like, bam, right after he announced um, he, uh, he got that pit offer. I, I, I really don't have anything else to say on, on the subject. It's not exactly a surprise, but I wasn't saying, you know, he wasn't the first name that came to my mind when I was thinking about guys who could enter the portal. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. And it seemed like, I mean, clearly, there was going to be a path for him to start at wide receiver at Iowa next season, obviously. Um, he was, I mean, even when he came back from that wrist injury, when he had no starting experience to fall back on, as soon as he was back and healthy, within his second week, he was back in that starting lineup, or like in the starting lineup for the first time. So obviously the coaches believe in him as a top receiver in that room. And even if you say, well, what about Caleb Brown? When Vines was healthy, he was starting over Brown. Fans might not agree with that decision, uh, but it was the case. And the way that Kirk runs this program, it was probably still going to be the case next season if Deontay wanted it. Or at the very least, he would have had that first step in terms of where that competition was going to be this fall. That all said... I mean, you look at the numbers that Deontay had, 228 yards through two seasons. And even though he was hurt for, you know, portions of both of them, it was still, you look at, you know, the the totality of it, it was still more than one season's worth of games. And he had 228 yards, one touchdown, 22 catches. And somebody like him, is probably taking stock of the time that he's got left in a college football uniform and thinking, especially after Charlie Jones, thinking, you know what? It might be nice to just go somewhere and catch a thousand yards worth of passes. Just just do that. And if that's the case, great. You know, like if if UConn can provide that and UMass, even Pitt, I don't know, like it, it sort of depends on what he wants too, uh, but he's a guy that is at the very least very well in tuned in tune in, in terms of what he wants um, and, you know, living his own truth. Uh, the, the fact that he was candid enough with us reporters to talk about, you know, his decision to stop drinking, for example, uh, which is sort of something that he came to while he was rehabbing his wrist injury, that it was, you know, another sort of thing that was sort of taking away time that, you know, he wanted to spend in better ways. And so, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and call Brian Ferentz's offense and uh, excessive drinking a one-to-one apples-to-apples comparison, but, you know, insofar as they can be a thief of joy to wide receivers, understandable, right? Like, <laughs> they, they, they can't inhabit some pretty similar spaces for very certain individuals so you know if if what vines wants most is somewhere other than iowa city great it's it's too bad and i'm I'm sure that the coaches are like well there goes a starting wide receiver but it's also understandable 
And so that's that's about enough that I've got to say on that. You mentioned catch a thousand yards worth of passes. He's got to catch them. Yeah, I will say yep. that. Yep, and and that's I why you know it's that. mostly UMass and UConn coming calling. Yeah, right. Ross, anything to add on on Deontay? Not too much. I mean. It's surprising only because, like Adam said, there was a clear path for him to probably start next year, um, you know, either at the position he's he's already been starting at or, you know, Nico is gone next year. So, you know, the potential is for, you know, one of Deontay or Caleb to potentially flip over to that side and start, you would think, possibly at least. So, you know, certainly there are opportunities for him. You know, he has a lot of experience in the program, but I'm also I can't say ever surprised when a receiver decides they've had enough of uh, the Iowa offense. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it is what it is. And for a receiver, it's, it's pretty grim at times. So I, uh, I wish him well, like you guys, I mean, he seems like a really good dude. Um, I think he worked, worked his tail off all the time. He was in Iowa city. Wish he would have been healthier. Wish he could have been on the field more. Um, but yeah, I, I just really hope he uh, is able to do well wherever he lands. The other player I thought would be good to make a point on is is Joe Labus entering the portal. And not necessarily specific to Joe. It's more so that Iowa enters their bowl game with two scholarship quarterbacks for the second year in a row. Two available scholarship quarterbacks for the second year in a row, one of them being a true freshman. Now, Deacon Hill will have more experience than Joe Labus did going into that game. That's for sure. Obviously, Spencer Petras got hurt, so he couldn't play. Cade McNamara gets hurt, so he can't play. So technically three scholarship quarterbacks on the roster, but two that are available. I've seen people repeatedly say that, oh, time to see Marco. You really think that's going to happen, first of all? No. Second of all, like, have you forgotten who the head coach is? And it's the same dude that's been there for the last 25 years. Second thing is, I would not consider now the time to throw in a true freshman against an SEC team that is a top 25 team in the country, and you've had him sit all year. It's like, oh, now's the time, Marco. Good luck, buddy. Really? That's not going to happen. There's no freaking way. Now, what I was going to make in, in the, the real reality, what I was going to make of the point is that this is the second year that's happened two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster going into a bowl game. What does that say about one, the development of these quarterbacks in this program and two, the turnover, because it's not the same two quarterbacks. It's two different quarterbacks. Yeah. This isn't whatever they're doing right now is not working. Well, and I mean, it's, I mean, I'm okay. I want to hear your rebut on that, Adam. Well, as, as Kirk would tell you, well, the the guy that we thought was going to be quarterback ended up getting hurt during the middle of the year. Don't know if you knew about that. Uh, he would say that. Would say it and right to your face point. too. No, it's not the uh-huh. point at all. It's it no, it it wasn't the point back then either. The the point they they really do need to to make um, a better effort in terms of how they develop these quarterbacks because. 18 months to get a guy ready is not feasible in 2023. 
and it puts your defense or excuse me, it puts your offense in these positions where guys are just not ready for the jobs that they get <laughs> when they uh, when, when they're put under center uh, for reasons like, I don't know, a quarterback's quad or uh, ACL blowing out, which the coaches will tell us often they can't control and it's part of the game. So the fact that they already understand that guys can go down with injury and yet their system is still, it takes 18 months minimum to incubate a quarterback. And when they get in the system, they're, you know, they're throwing 15 yard passes. They're running the same bootleg play action that defenses have seen since the 20th century. They are right. There's, there's a disconnect between what we're asking the quarterbacks to do and how long it takes to get them ready to do that. And when that disconnect exists, you get things like for the second straight year, two healthy quarterbacks, and they're not the same two, either of them. So that is, you know, point number 5,783 in terms of why Iowa's quarterback development needs to be overhauled uh you know shocked to so many people at that point uh ross any further thoughts on the quarterback situation before we get into some actually good news on the transfer portal front um yeah i mean i I think there's just a lot of things to unpack with the quarterback points um you know you mentioned like the different faces but that's kind of inevitable i mean they lost padilla last year to the portal they lost Petrus to injury. So, I mean, there were going to be new faces. Um, Obviously I agree with the point about quarterback development. I mean, that's something we've, we've touched on throughout the the fall and that's, you know, the, one of the biggest problems with the program and something that has to be fixed before they can, you know, really fix a lot of other issues on offense, I think. But, um, you know, speaking to this particular, you know, and, there's a little bit of bad luck involved. You know, you have a quarterback with season ending injuries uh, two years in a row. Like, you know, Iowa had had phenomenal injury luck with quarterbacks for a long time. And, you know, now it feels like it's, I guess, evening out a little bit, maybe, you know, they lose Petrus last year at the end of the season, they lose Kate at the start of the season this year, regrettably. Um so, I mean, those are just kind of weird circumstances. And the nature of the portal means you're going to have guys who once they, you know, they're, it's clear that I'm not the guy here. I want, I need to go somewhere else to find an opportunity. Like, they're going to leave in this time of year, like early December after the regular season is done. You know, they got to get in the portal so that they have their most, that's where they're going to have the most opportunities of teams available for them to try and, you know, land at for their next school. So, you know, I get why, you know, I think Padilla jumped the same time last year and why Labus jumps now. Like, this is the best time for them to do that. So, um, you know, I think all of that, you know, combines to leave us with, oh, crap, we've got two scholarship starting quarterbacks, uh, you know, going into the game. And uh, I will disagree with Elliot about the the Marco point for one reason, and that is if uh, if Deacon gets hurt, I do think Marco would come in as the replacement um, well, yeah, Ross. Not <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just I'm saying like there's a scenario for Marco to play, but it's not uh, likely. I would agree for sure. 
I was actually saying Tommy, Tommy Pahulski. Yeah. Right, right. I was actually saying it's Tommy Pahulski time, Ross. So maybe you, <laughs> maybe you do have a point. Um, yeah, he is the third string quarterback going into this one. Walk on Tommy Pahulski. So, and no, just because James Reeser is signing in December, he will not be available to play in this game. Just so you know, he's not graduating early, nor would he be prepared, but they probably he, he, he lives do. just two hours up the road. I mean, it's, it's I a know. quick drive down to Orlando. <laughs> They'd probably, I, you'd have to imagine they were running Sam Laporta at quarterback in practices last year. So you'd have to imagine they're doing something with the wildcat. If, uh, if that takes place, but we shall see when uh, we get there either way. Uh, two scholarship quarterbacks, not ideal in this circumstance, but on the positive side where we are with the transfer portal, where Iowa is with the transfer portal, uh, two Caleb's returning for sure next year, as they said on Instagram live last night or two nights ago, right? Adam, you watched it? Two nights ago. Yep. Yeah. 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 That was uh, surprising news because it, as late as the Northwestern game, there had been some rumblings that that was it for Caleb Johnson. And <clears throat> excuse me, you could sort of see why it it made sense, especially with Lee Sean Williams getting the bulk of the carries and and doing a lot with them. And you know, I, I don't think Caleb played a snap against Northwestern, so it would be understandable, and especially for other Power Five teams to look at him and say, "Oh, we can use him." Oh yeah, right. The, the the talent that Caleb Johnson has is undeniable. He just had rotten luck with injuries this year, and the fact that there's only one ball that you can hand off, and sometimes that ball's just going to have to get handed to Leishon. Sometimes it's going to have to get had, handed to um, Jazz Patterson. Right? It's it's a crowded backfield there, and they're happy about that uh, to an extent, but. It's understandable that if what you really want is a thousand yards or twelve hundred yards or you know X number of touchdowns, this is probably not the offense or the running back room that's going to get you there. That all said, you know they hop on Instagram and they say, you know we're we're Hawkeyes for life, and I believe it. And a part of the reason that I believe it is because it's bigger than football to these guys that they have cultivated such a camaraderie with each other. And some of that has to do with NIL for that matter. And, and that's a, a consequence of NIL that hadn't really been predicted or talked about. But the way that the swarm operates is that these guys get essentially compensated for volunteer work around the community. And of course, you know, if you're going to do volunteer work that you're going to enjoy, and then you also get paid to do it, not only are you going to want to do it, but so are your buddies on the team. And so, Elliot, how many times have we heard these guys talk about the time that they spend together off the field, whether it's doing these NIL projects or they're going to the movies or stuff like that? Like they have created this very, very tight knit group in a way that is you if they were trying to fake it. If they were, if, if if there were any dishonesty about it, they probably would have stopped talking about it by now. Uh, it is something that is really genuinely um, important to them, and and it gets talked about a lot also by recruits in terms of you know what the staff talks about, what they can expect when they get in here. That it it becomes this very tight knit sort of thing, and they they just keep spending time with each other and and deepening those bonds, and so it you know. From a football perspective, 
that was positive news to hear that both Caleb Johnson and Caleb Brown, who had his own hiccups this season, and, you know, who probably also had numbers that he probably would have expected to be higher, that they're both committing to come back. A big, big part of that is who they're coming back to and the situation and the happiness that they have in Iowa City, regardless of what their stat sheet on ESPN says or this or that. Uh, one other thing that I'll point out in terms of that IG while they were on, Deacon Hill hopped on there too. And they both had a really, really good rapport with him. Uh, they're, they're joking. They're, they're talking about, um, oh, why didn't you invite us to the movies? And he was like, well, why didn't you get off Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, one, you see that confidence continue to build in Deacon Hill, that, that he can be joking around with his RB1 and, and uh, wide receiver one. And they treat him like a QB1 there too. And that was... A data point, anecdata, if you will, but it was something worth noting that that they don't treat him like the guy who's just sort of sitting in Cade's chair. That you know they they've got they they enjoy having him around and he enjoys having them around, et cetera, et cetera. It, again, it's not the end all be all. It's it's one little thing to notice, but it's a positive thing to notice. And so that was interesting to see and it was sort of consistent with the growth and confidence Elliot that we've seen out of Deacon uh, all year it was it it seemed like week 12 Deacon and not week six Deacon and so the fact that that's carrying past the media rooms past the field past you know the regular season that that's just how he is now uh very I would say positive for people who are you know thinking about buying stock in Deacon Hill from here on out I would say did you guys see a few people tweeted? I I didn't see it. I can't verify it for myself. But apparently Cooper DeGene said on an Instagram live, he, he said something like, who says I'm leaving? I, I saw the same thing you did, Elliot, but I didn't actually, you know, see his comment specifically. Okay. So. Okay. Well, no. can't verify it. Didn't see it. Just saying since we're talking about Instagram live and all the kids doing their doodads with the internet and stuff. So we're the old ones, I, Elliot. <laughs> I'm still old compared to these college students. When That's I say, true. Oh yeah, yeah. When I, when I was in college, I'm 27 years old and getting senile over here. Anyway, um, talking a, a little bit more about what's going on with this off season. We did want to hit on the uh, topic of the offensive coordinator and the approach there for Iowa because they haven't hired somebody yet. Penn State was on it like that with Andy Kotelnicki and uh, coming out of Kansas. A few other hires have been made. And typically when you're going into an offseason, you want to get that done so you can point to this person, to players in the transfer portal or coming out of high school. This is going to be your offensive coordinator. This is going to be the guy you're going to be working with. And if it's a guy, uh, you know, there are a ton of names have been thrown around, right? Like, like, for example, Coach Bud. I've talked to several recruits that love Coach Bud. Deacon Hill loves Coach Bud. I know, I mean, Keller Christ is an analyst on the Iowa football roster. And Paul Christ is his uncle. And you can point to all these things that he did as the OC at Wisconsin. This is a guy that Kirk Ferentz admires, trusts. I mean, there, and when you have a guy 
that Kirk Ferentz trusts. He can point to these things, X, Y, Z. This is why we get along. This is why I like him. This is why he'll do a great job with you. This is where your, you know, abilities come in and, and where you'll, you'll be. And so they haven't done it. Who knows when they'll do it. If they wait till after the bowl game, it's too late to be able to say that stuff. Really? It's way too late. It'd be silly. They they cannot wait until after the Citrus Bowl, and and I, unfortunately, I think that is a realistic possibility with Ferentz and the way he's handled things in the past. But that would be a disastrous move. I agree with you, Elliot, because they need the portals open now. There's you know that literally thousands of guys in the portal. If they're going to try and get guys out of the portal to try and enhance this team for next year, especially on the offensive side of the ball, where they continue obviously to need you know, help. I think we'd all agree on that. Um, those guys want to know who's my OC going to be, you know, who's calling plays, who's designing game plans, etc. And Iowa can't afford to just sit out the month of December, I think on, on that issue. So and yeah, this is the Kirk guy going to want to bring in timetable. Right. No, he hasn't. Right. But I'm aware of. And, but the, right. No. And so, but the sooner, the sooner, the better, <laughs> there's no, no delay there. Adam has a his figure raised. <laughs> One thing that I'll point out is that this time 12 months ago, Dejan Parker was committed to Virginia. He backed out of that commitment, ended up at Iowa, precisely because he did not know who his coach was going to be at that time. And so he made that switch in early January. And if Iowa wants to play that game with its offensive coordinator, they already know, like there's already one guy who's on the roster right now who is like a totemic like personification of what happens when you don't have your coaching staff sewn up for next year after like by the time all the bowls are done. You lose recruits like that. And I understand the way the the reason that Kirk would want to not deal with that until after the season it's his kid you know and it it's that's we worry about next year next year I believe is is his phrase but recruits that are worrying about next year are doing it right now right guys the portal guys are worried about next year right now (laughs) right now and it's it's fine to say we'll, we'll worry about next year, next year. That's a luxury the staff just does not have. And if they want to be in denial about it, you know, they've, I'm sure they've earned that right. 25 years, I mean, you know, up to 25 years, but I, I disagree. And I think the recruiting will bear that out. It's going to be a distraction with, you know, Brian being the OC on Jan one, whether they hire someone before then or not, like it's going to be right. an issue to discuss and an issue that, you know, is a distraction from everything else because the decision was made to keep him through Jan one or at least through the bowl game. So that, you know, that die is cast. I think the best thing you can do at this point is what can you do to make sure that next year's team is in the best position possible. And that starts with hiring an offensive coordinator sooner rather than later. Um, Yeah. And watch them wait until January 2nd to hire somebody and it's like Tim Polisek. How uninspiring is that? 
Oh. Don't don't speak that into existence. <laughs> no, no disrespect to Tim or, or the Polisek family, but oh boy. Yeah. And then, so the other thing I was going to say is the recruiting pitch, if there's one to be made about the staff right now is, well, it's not going to be Brian. <laughs> like, that's that's all yeah. you got. If you're pointing to your OC, well, it's not going to be the guy that has sucked it up over the last three years. And then but, but additionally. It also just means that you're not getting recruited by the guy that's going to coach you. And that is so frustrating for players. Unless it's your position coach. And for right now, all I've all I've been aware of is position coaches are focused on high school recruits and um their their uh their guys in the building, as far as I know. Um, in terms of the folks that have reached been reached out into the transfer portal and such. And I can elaborate more about that on our premium board if um that's that's something that's warranted. But in regards to the staff and the assistants who's to say that the new OC won't want to bring in his own guys, right? Like that's important too. I don't know how much of these guys are going to be retained, right? I mean, like if I had to lean one way or another, I'd say a lot of them are going to be in there because Kirk, like for example, has raved about George Barnett. So coach likes George Barnett. Coach Ferentz likes George Barnett. I haven't heard him talk specifically. Right, exactly. I haven't heard him talk specifically about a guy like Kelton Copeland out, you know, publicly and such. But Abdul Hodge is good at what he does. Liddell Betts is a former Hawkeye. Like these things just add up to them being retained on staff. Now you bring in a guy like Paul Christ who has this again, conjecture here, who has head coaching experience, offensive coordinator experience, is he going to want to bring in his own guys in certain positions, right? That's definitely a possibility. Is it not? I mean, it's a possibility. I think it gets back to the question that we've all had about the new offensive coordinator since, you know, we, we find out Brian would for sure be gone next year, which is how much is Kirk going to continue steering the wheel here? Like, is he willing to give more seed, more responsibility to an offensive coordinator or, you know, is this someone that's coming in just to, you know, bring his vision of the offense to life Frankenstein style? Um, You know, if that's the case, then I don't expect that person to have much say in terms of replacing other coaches on the staff or much influence. Um, if it is, you know, a case where he really is ceding more control to somebody else, then I think you're right. There is a possibility of other changes on that offensive coaching staff. But, um, you know, until we see kind of where Kirk's leaning, that's that's tough to say, for me at least. Yeah, I, I think that is ultimately, Ross, the like central uh, conflict through all of this is if Kirk's fingers or fingerprints are going to be on this offense, how much does it actually matter who the guy is going to be? You know, because there, there, there have been incremental changes over the years, but there's a few things that have not changed over the entire 25 years. And some of that is because the head coach hasn't changed and is famously stubborn about the things that he does and doesn't change. So, you know, I think it'll be very interesting to see how, what you guys have talked about, like how that staff shakes itself out 
you know, what sort of autonomy the OC has in terms of who his position coaches are. I don't, Kirk does not seem like the kind of be like the kind of guy or the kind of coach who would be like, yeah, go ahead and fire my running backs coach. Right. That I don't expect that per se from him, but if there's a way that this gets handled and, you know, these guys are leaving on their own volition, for example, let's and and I'm not, don't call this Adam says Kelton Copeland's on his way out. This is an example. Um, but let's say Kelton Copeland or, it's going or on our say, TikTok. No, for crying out loud. Generic <laughs> coach X. Let's say generic <laughs> coach X says announces, you know, I'm taking an opportunity at my alma mater, right? But the OC, whoever it is, is already in place at that point. Whether that replacement position coach has more connections to the offensive coordinator or to Kirk Ferentz, I think will signal how much autonomy this offensive coordinator has to develop an offense, right? It's again, we're, we're reading tea leaves here. It's, it's sort of like a soap opera with a Sphinx as the main character, but it is, that is at the very least an indication that we can use for what the next offensive coordinator's job is even going to look like. Yeah. Well, and I think your point too, about, you know, replacing coaches, like you could count on one hand, the number of coaches that Kirk Ferentz has fired in his 25 years at Iowa, and you don't need all the fingers to do it. So, you know, he's not, no, no new coordinator is going to come in and like clean house as it were or anything like that. I don't think, but um, you know, yeah, there's the potential there for some other changes, maybe possibly if, you know, someone gets another opportunity or wants to, you know, do something else, whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm not seeing someone, I don't see someone getting fired from the Iowa staff. Um, that is just not the way Kirk has operated for, for over two decades now. There's, there's fired. And then there's, you should take a job somewhere else. You know, right? Yeah, ushered out the door, which is definitely yeah. a possibility. And even yeah, that's a possibility. And even that hasn't happened all that often. So right. I mean, it's just you know the the assistant coaching gig has been a very stable one in the Iowa football world for a long time. So we'll see. And for for good reason for guys like Abdul Hodge and Liddell Betts, right? Like those sure. guys are good coaches. Yeah, they not necessarily from, from Kirk. Yeah, right. Not necessarily. It's not like the wide receiver room has had a whole lot of success, right? And this is not me saying Kelton Copeland should be fired or That's or going on our out. TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that should be talked about with the performance of the wide receivers. Why don't we say that? And. Sure. One thing I, I did want to hit on, I don't know if we've really podcasted about this before. Of course, I have the article on iowa.rivals.com about the uh, potential candidates, which you can find on our website if you want to go digging, or you can search Iowa's next offensive coordinator, potential candidates, uh, rivals, and, and you'll find it. There's a picture of Kirk and, and Paul Christ at the top there. But I list the most likely candidates at the top as John Budmeyer, Paul Christ, Tim Polisek, and then LeVar Woods, who I see, again, who I see is the, I guess, more 
likely hires at that offensive coordinator spot. Do you guys like if if you were making the hire, do you have a preference if you look at it and say that guy should be the OC? Do you have a preference like where are you guys in in the thought process here with with who ends up at Iowa as the OC? Uh, the only other name I would add to the list that you brought up there is Joe Philbin, who is a uh, former former assistant with Ferentz, so he's got connections, uh, former head coach of the Dolphins, former – he's got a lot of coaching experience all over. Currently an analyst at Ohio State, so, um, you know, it wouldn't be hard to get him away to be an assistant. Um, but my leaning would be towards – someone like Chris or Philbin, I think probably someone that has a lot of experience um, that is an analyst so they can come in right away. And they, there's that either familiarity with Ferentz already that Philbin has, or that, you know, Chris has not worked with Ferentz, but I think they seem very simpatico. You know, there's a lot of mutual respect there, obviously. And just in terms of the way they see football and, and see offensive football, I think there's a lot more they agree on than disagree on. So you know, that would work well. Um, you know, my, you know, personal preference for, you know, a radically transformed Iowa offense, like that's not going to happen as long as Kirk Ferentz is the head coach. So, um, and maybe they don't even need a radical transformation, honestly, but um, so, yeah, I, I think that's kind of where I would lean. Um, what about you, Adam? Yeah. You know, this is sort of a situation where do I want to, incorporate what I think Kirk Ferentz wants or not, <laughs> because if, if I'm going the, that realistic route, yeah, sure. Paul Christ probably seems fine. And I'll go sort of one step further with Christ. I think Kirk would be happier with having Paul Christ around and because they're just sort of similar personality wise, right? The first opportunity that they get to like when, acerbic Paul Chris comes out, Mr. Turnover chain my ass. Like if that Paul Chris comes to Iowa city, Kirk is going to have a blast. Like we, that might be his little fountain of youth right there is bringing in another like salty 60, 70 year old guy at that point to, to like bounce all that. Like what, what happened to the game? I love sort of energy, right? It, it's got to have a, it's got to have some sort of a, a, an outlet somewhere. I'm only about 50% kidding on that point. Uh, Joe Philbin, I think, is a great choice on pretty much exactly those same terms. And no one's ever uh, doubted that guy's football IQ ever. And and he's got the hardware to back it up and the NFL experience now at this point to back it up, too. But, you know, he's getting up there just like Kirk is. And, you know, does he want a role like that, which is not necessarily the like labor lift that being a head coach is, but it's awful close. Like, you know, it's, it's, it might not be a hundred hours a week, but it's probably 80, you know, does, does Philbin really want to do that at this point in his life? Does Chris really even want to do that at this point in his life? Maybe yes. Right. Like maybe just having, being in that room makes it easier than if it's in, you know, New Mexico or what have you. I don't know. In terms of a, like, what do I want to see? Uh, you know, you can't watch these these teams out west, uh, you know, Washington in particular or Oregon in particular, and not think, well, why can't Denbrock come to Iowa, right? Uh, or or why can't um, 
oh, the um, grub guy at Washington. Like, why not him? He's even from Iowa. And and some people have said, oh, yeah, you know, grub's a, grub's a guy that you really need to target. This would be, at best, a lateral move for him, especially now that Washington's in the Big Ten, right? Like, why? <laughs> Just because he's from Iowa. Like, I'm from Iowa myself. Uh, but you're not going to, if I was living in Seattle, the fact that I was from Iowa, just like, I'm not moving from Seattle to Iowa. That is, that's no, no disrespect to the Hawkeye state, but if you've ever been to Seattle, you understand. Um, great city. Anyway, the, so I, I would say my, if we're talking fantasy candidates, grub, realistic candidates, like someone who wouldn't make that 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 would that Kirk would actually want to coach with Paul Christ would be that would be it for me. Of the four names that I listed, Tim Polisek is immediately crossed off for me. For okay. a well, yeah, <laughs> okay. I, I considered it a realistic possibility because he's been on staff before. He was an offensive line coach for the Hawkeyes and. I've I've heard he's similar to Brian Ferentz. We'll say that. So you don't you don't want uh, chances are you don't want him to be the OC at Iowa. Uh, what I will say is at the point of the the writing of that article, what, that's by a point in time, Iowa was ranked 131st in total offense. I looked up Wyoming and their rankings, being that they are G5, thinking, oh yeah, they'll probably be 70, 80, something like that. What did I find? The uh, performance increased from 131st to 124th. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 the same game, man. Yeah, yeah. You don't want that guy as your as your offensive coordinator. I'll say that. Um, I I was also I have a buddy who's a Wyoming fan for some reason, and he's basically said the same thing. Is he? You do not want that guy to be your next OC. I look at a guy like LeVar Woods, and obviously he's done incredible things at every single spot he's been in. But do you elevate your special teams coordinator to your offensive coordinator? Right. Like what's how does that really make sense? Right. Like the just in, in terms of football. And I'm that's not my that's not me questioning LeVar Woods. That's just questioning me or me questioning the decision to move from one facet of the game to the other. And then I look at Coach Bud who has not had a ton of six, who didn't have a ton of success as the offensive coordinator at Colorado state in his one year there, the Rams averaged 23.7 points per game while putting up 163 point yards, put nine yards per game rushing and 251.8 yards per game passing, which is a hell of a lot more than what I was done, but they also finished with a three and nine record and it's group of five. And he only did it for one year before their head coach got fired. And since then, he previously to that, he was at Wisconsin. Then he ended up at Colorado State. Then he ended up at Iowa. And there hasn't been a whole lot of things that I have seen in terms of on-field product that he has put together that has made me say, that's the guy. Um, I've heard a lot of positive things about him off the field, again, between recruiting Deacon and Cade. And if he's the guy and he comes out and he's successful, then then awesome. Do I see him as as the first choice? No, I do not. To me, it is Paul Christ. Uh, again, things did tend to fall to the wayside a little bit with his offense when he took over as the head coach at, at Wisconsin. But when he was the OC there, things went swimmingly. You mentioned the relationship um, aspect of it with with Kirk, Adam, 
And to me, he's the choice. Do I do I see things necessarily going the way that, you know, the folks would like them to? No, I don't because it's Kirk Ferentz. But <laughs> whether or not it is it, that aligns, and I think that's the realistic choice for people. You're looking obviously. You get your pick of the lot, and it's Ryan Grubb. It's the guy who just got let go from Houston. People have been saying that. Oh, he's, he went to Iowa. Well, have you met yeah. Kirk Ferentz for the yeah. second time in one podcast? Have you heard the guy talk? Secondarily, Ryan Grubb is not going to make that lateral move, probably for less money, unless he's a head coach in waiting, which I don't see them operating as such. And so realistically, I think the people's choice is is a guy like Paul Christ. I don't know enough about Joe Philbin to to speak on him, but um, to to me, the the choice is Paul Christ with the way things sit. Unless we're just shocked out of our minds and they make some surprise hire somebody else. Um, I don't. George Barnett has previous offensive coordinator, co-offensive coordinator experience. Do I see them elevating him to OC? That would be a hell of a shock. I, I don't. I don't see that come to fruition, but Adam, it looked like you had something to say in there. Well, one, one thing I'll point out, um, what works at North Dakota state, what works at Wyoming, what works at Colorado state is predicated a whole lot on the fact that you're playing opponents that have to sort of pick and choose where they're going to be good because they have limited resources, just like you have limited resources. You try to bring the caveman stuff to the Big Ten, and unless you're in the Big Ten West, which is uh, about to, you know, head out, <laughs> and mercifully so, right, the the opportunity to win with that 1950s offense in the Big Ten is effectively closing with the removal of divisions and the entry of your Oregon, Washington, your, your two L.A. schools, one with the talent that they bring in because they're going to be great, not only from one to 11, but 12 to 22 and uh, 23 to 33 on defense. Like they can recruit good, fast, strong defenders up and down their depth chart. So, you know, we have seen the incremental like loss of efficacy. We'll, we'll, we'll put it that way as, the big 10 has grown. And as the money keeps coming in, like at some point, it just really does become more about the guys on the field than the X's and O's that you're giving to them. That all said, you do have to have some X's and O's that come from the 21st century. And, you know, does, you know, does Paul Christ have some of that in him? You would hope so. Uh, You brought up Dana Holgerson, Elliot, I would sooner see Kirk coaching shirtless uh, on the sidelines at Kinnick Stadium than Dana Holgerson being his OC. Prove me wrong, Kirk. Like, I'm begging you to prove me wrong. But, like, that guy is the – Dana Holgerson is sort of the guy that you would see at a craps table – uh, and and not in Vegas, in Washington, Iowa, at, at whatever casino that is, at 3 a.m. with a, a concerning amount of Red Bull in his system. Uh, that, uh, as a fit goes, it sounds catastrophic, which means I want to see it. Uh, I, 
morbid curiosity, really. But I fans would be happy for a while, but it's sort of the same way that fans were happy in Madison when uh, Luke Fickle decided that he was going to go air raid. You know, that's that's fun in April, right? You, you can be excited about that in August. Uh, it didn't shake out well for them. And I don't know if ev- even in this like weird psychotic scenario, Dana comes to Iowa City and says, all right, Kirk, here's a way to make an air raid succeed. And, and here are the 10 different changes you need to make. He's probably getting one of them out of Kirk, right? Like it, it would be a disaster. And again, we, we don't know that Iowa's got the dudes to make a system like that work. Uh, and I mean, they would, it would be a multi-year recruiting reclamation project at that point. That all said, it's Holgo, so I want to see it. I would sooner see Kirk Ferentz coach pantsless than they hire Ryan Grubb. So uh, glad uh, we were thinking the same thing in that department, Adam. Um, Hope it doesn't come to now. That. Yeah, that would be walking walking around in tidy whities on the sideline. Um, <laughs> right. So that's. I mean, I, I again, I we've reached to a stopping point where I don't feel like there's a whole lot to add on the offensive coordinator spot. I, I think there is a general, I don't know if frustration is the right word, but the, the, the everybody's antsy waiting for that <laughs> offensive coordinator to to be hired, especially in the fan base. And of course, we'll have coverage of it on iowithoutrivals.com as it comes. And when we get some information, we will share it on the premium board for those who are subscribers. We've got Transfer Portal covered. We've got Recruiting covered. And of course, we've got that OC search covered and basketball and basketball recruiting and signing day right around the corner. You want to be a subscriber right now to get all that information from us on iowa.rivals.com. If you are watching, listening on YouTube, please make sure you hit that subscribe button down below so you do not miss an episode. Same thing for Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the platforms you can listen. And if you are on YouTube as well, hit that like button, drop a comment. Who do you want Iowa to hire as their next OC? And be realistic about it, would you? They're not gonna. They're not gonna bring anybody in from the NFL or anything like that, unless it is Joe Philbin or whatever he's doing. Ohio State. That's where he's at. Anyway. Make sure you subscribe, do all that stuff for us. We really appreciate it. It makes us very happy. That'll do it for us here on this episode of Hotcast. We appreciate you tuning in for now. We will see you next time.